everybody, and welcome to another episode of the In Contention Podcast. I'm Joey Pasco, joined by Ruben Bressler. Hello. And Cedric Phillips. Hello. Wait a second. Wait, Cedric, hold on. That's slightly different than normal. That, that is something. Is it Cedric? That, Cedric's not usually here. Somebody else is usually here. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Matt was feeling a little under the weather. Couldn't record with us today. But we got a replacement, the closest we could find. And uh, yeah. we just had to scrape the bottom of the barrel and find Cedric Phillips for you guys. So That's right. <laughs> We're like the same guy, so I think it should work out okay. Yeah, it's yeah, a decent approximation. <laughs> so how's it going, guys? Not bad. Um, ready to discuss the happenings in the magic community. We got some good things to talk about today. So Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and, and having Cedric in the mix will uh, certainly change things up, yes. I think. Uh, actually, speaking of which... Uh, we do have an event coming up this weekend. Uh, That's right. Completely new standard format. And uh, on that note, of course, In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series. And this weekend, the Open Series rolls into Cincinnati, Ohio, with $10,000 prize pools in both the standard and legacy opens. If you can't be there, be sure to tune into SEGlive.com and catch Zach Hall and Matthias Hunt bringing you guys all the action with Glenn Jones in the sideboard. Uh, the Twitter hashtag for this weekend is SCGSIN, C-I-N, so you can use that to join in the discussion. And if you can't make it out to either of these, you can be sure to check out an invitational qualifier tournament year, near you. You can go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing. And uh, I believe there's a, there's a new address for that, isn't it, Ruben? It's the uh, StarCityGames.com. Yes, it's the uh, StarCityGames, um, what's it called? Slash Organized it's, Play. It's Organized Play. I'm trying to remember what the website like title is, but uh, I think it's StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. Ah, uh, okay. Sounds familiar to me. If I'm wrong on that, then we'll put it in the show notes. It works. Make sure. I just checked. It yeah, works. there we go. So, uh, speaking of uh, things to talk about, why don't we uh, run down the hashtags, Ruben? Right, and without Cranny here, this is my first time reading the hashtags. I'm very honored to be able to uh, bring you the hashtags this week. Brace yourself. But, uh, yeah, I know. Seriously. <laughs> so this week we've got hashtag pre-release, where we'll discuss a little bit of the pre-release action, some of the changes to the format, the uh, the guild lunchbox things. Um, hashtag modern testing. Cedric's been doing a little bit of that. Um, I don't think either me or Joey are qualified for the Pro Tour, so we haven't been doing as much. Nope. But uh, it, it's, it's still an I, – I love modern. It's such an interesting format that I've still been testing it, even though I have nowhere to play it. Um, hashtag SEG Sin coming. So we uh, have an incoming standard format. We will discuss what we think will happen at SEG Cincinnati. And hashtag coverage. And I think that about covers it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, let, let's just start with, uh, with this past weekend. We had the Return to Ravnica pre-release. And uh, I was able to make it out to one. Ruben, you pre-released. Yep. Cedric, Cedric, you couldn't make it. Now, what's your excuse? My excuse is all the Seattle ones were, like, signed up for way beforehand. Like, wow. all of them were just filled. See, now, like, that, that's a great multiple excuse. Days. That's, like, a great... I mean, it sucks. It really does. Yeah. I think the fact that's that... That's pretty absurd. But it's a great, great reason, I guess, for people to be missing it, is that it's so popular that that everybody can't actually make it. So, um, right. that's, that's something that has been kind of a hot-button topic lately, and I think... Uh, I think it's been discussed a bit on Twitter, but ever since they moved the the small pre-releases, I'm sorry, moved the big pre-releases and changed them kind of into small pre-releases at local game stores, um, 
the the dynamic has changed quite a bit. And you know, personally, I'm not a fan of it, even though I know it helps out local game stores. I always preferred the the large regional pre-releases that was always seemed like a much bigger event than just you know going down down the street to the the local shop, which you know is always there. It's it just doesn't seem as special to me. But um, what did you guys think? I about, agree with that. What do you guys think about that? I, yeah. I agree. I agree with that for sure. I think that uh, when I first started playing when I was a little kid, you know the 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 big pre-releases were. Uh, were exciting. Like you looked forward to them more than like when I was a kid, I looked forward to those more than I looked forward to big local tournaments, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you could enter a flight and do have an okay record, uh, you know, in, in one of the quote unquote main events at the, at the pre-release and feel like you were actually pretty good at magic. And I, I think that that really helped bridge the gap between sort of casual players coming into not so casual anymore with, yeah. You're missing with these local stores. At the local stores, you, you don't have these huge events, or at least you shouldn't because they don't have the room for them. That's another issue is that, you know, like Cedric said, that there, there just wasn't uh, enough space available. You don't have that, or there weren't, there weren't enough uh, slots available in the events, and you wouldn't have that problem if you had big events, yeah. I wouldn't think. Uh, it might have just been a, um, a product issue, which is a whole nother ball of cats or whatever yeah. the saying is but that's you know it's, I, I don't think it's ball of cats i i think that's an incorrect uh statement but you, i think you understand what i'm saying like so i i i i preferred the old ones um but wizards has always been trying to push the local scene to try and to, to try and build up the stores but when you have a store owner who's got m- so much other stuff on his mind organizing an event rather than an event organizer right which is their job title you know, you're going to have poorer run events, even if it's at more locations. Yeah. Cedric, any thoughts on that? Um, I was, I'm a bigger fan of the large pre-release experience as well, uh, personally. But it's also, I think, something that the three of us are just used to because we've been playing for a while. Right. Um, so I don't want to say that we're anti-change uh, because I'm not anti-change, but this is just one change that I was never really in favor of I understand the positives to it having it in a local store you know makes the local makes more people go to the local store which in turn gets your F&Ms bigger and stuff like that and builds more of a community at the local shop I think that's all like really like I think that's a, a positive thing but I just prefer and always have preferred like the big tournament feel of the pre-release where you know you all drive to I, I, uh, uh, Ruben and I are both from Ohio so I drove to Columbus uh, for the mm-hmm. pre-releases, and yep. you know, would go to the Columbus Convention Center and you know see a bunch of people that I knew that I don't get to see otherwise, and it's a nice way to meet like new people that that are that are outside of your area that have common interest and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like, I think that that's just, um, I feel like that's just like a better experience for people just having the large one. And then also, you know, if people like the large tournament feel when they go to a large pre-release, it'll make them you know, move forward in tournament magic, possibly, which I don't think is a bad thing. Like, if they like that feeling of being in a convention center with all these people, you know, then they might be interested in going to their, like, Grand Prix when it comes to town or going to PTQs around the area and just playing in more big tournaments because that's kind of the thing that got me hooked on that is I like the big tournament feeling. Right, right. But it feels special that way. Yeah. What's that? Sorry, the thing I was going to say is I guess the flip side of that would be if you're already terrified of the big tournament feel, then you're not going to go to the pre-release at the big, you know, convention center anyway. I guess, 
But I never saw that, I guess. You know. Yeah, I, I don't know that I experienced anything like that. I, the way, like, it, the way it used to be was, uh, at least the pre-releases I went to, they were big tournaments and it was just everybody that showed up played in one big event and it went for, you know, 10 rounds or yep. something. Um, and, and then, there would always be events going on. You had booster drafts, which I think yeah. they don't have anymore, which is unfortunate. But I actually, but. they, they uh, yeah, they took that away. I don't really care for that, but uh, that's another ball of cats. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think uh, in more recent years, even the bigger pre-releases I would go to would have, like, just small 32-player tournaments. So there would be 400 players in the room, but they were like the green tournament and the blue tournament yeah. and the orange tournament. And that way it was like four rounds, just like your local stores, you know, most yep. local game stores. So it was a small tournament. You could finish it, and then you could enter another flight later. It was just, that was the best, especially mm-hmm. when there were booster draft uh, options available. Uh, that seemed like the best thing. But anyway, that's uh, that's something else. There were some new things with this particular pre-release that, uh, that were... Completely new to the, the pre-release experience, and that was these guild packs, the guild lunch boxes or uh, mm-hmm. airplane snack boxes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what, that's what it reminded me of. The you know the little little boxes. Everybody got to pick a guild ahead of time, and um, and they got five packs of Return to Ravnica and one guild pack. Um, and I absolutely love this. Like I don't know yeah. about, you, about you guys. Like this this idea was it was awesome. It let you kind of choose a direction ahead of time and in in a lot of cases i think you were going to have just because of that one one sixth of your pool was going to go towards the guild you chose you were likely going to have uh, be able to play at least those two colors so um what did you guys think um i thought it was kind of cool i'm i'm like pretty pro gimmicks for a pre-release i kind of mm-hmm. like we've had gimmicks in the past with, like, uh, like Newphorexia and that sort of thing. And I'm, like, very pro-gimmicks. I think it helps enhance the experience. Like, if you're not going to have the big pre-releases like we talked about, then you have to do something kind of special to, for the small pre-releases uh, to make people want to go. And I think that, like, gimmicks is a good idea. Like, you know, they... Um, again, I didn't play in one, but as far as I know, they had, like, a checklist, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. That they handed out people's, like, goals to accomplish while they were there. Um, and I heard from everyone that, like, Picking your guild was just like a very received, a very well received idea. Um, so, like, I'm all for that sort of stuff at the pre-release because, again, it's not a major tournament. You, I don't think a pre-release wants to have a major tournament feel where you know people are playing Cutthroat Magic because I wouldn't play Cutthroat Magic at a pre-release either. It's just all right. for fun and you know it's just to get the set out there and it's just an enjoyable experience. You know, they have the midnight releases, uh, um, you know, Saturday at midnight or whatever. They have those releases, so it's just like a very cool activity to be doing and like you kind of plan your day around it so you want everyone to have fun and i think this enhances the fun when they have these gimmick type ideas and uh, from what i've heard like on twitter and stuff they're going to be doing it again for gate crash i think it's a really good idea i think that this one was incredibly well received so i think that you know if they keep thinking of gimmicks for their large set releases i think it's just going to be a really good idea i completely agree i think that um you know they, they did this with like you have to either pick like Pure Steel or Phyrexia for the one pre-release. Yeah. And then they had the Hell Vault for Avacyn Restored, which there were some issues with that, but it was an interesting idea and it got people to the store. And this one, I think, was the best one they've had so far for multiple reasons. One, the, the little boxes are cool and they're collectible and they're identifiable and they had different things inside of them. So, you know, each person had a different guild or each guild had a different guild letter. 
that you can like try and collect. You can try and collect all the guild stickers, all the boxes, all the dice. Yeah. Um, like for like, think about this. The dice are are worth something. Like you can sell the dice, the different guild dice. Yeah. So I I, I think that that's that's a, that's a good hallmark of of a, of a successful advertising campaign is that you can sell this thing that's usually completely worthless for value. Um, I think that the guild packs were a good idea. Um, I'm a little hesitant on whether or not playing the pre-release card was a good idea. Um, some of the pre-release cards were completely unreasonable to have in every single pool. Um, <laughs> Do you like, have an example of such yeah, a thing? Yeah, Hy- Hypersonic Dragon, I think that every single sealed pool having a 4-4 flying haste for 5 mana is a little bit unreasonable. Well, see, it's fair, because they can both players can draw theirs, and then they kill each other, right? <laughs> well, Except yeah. that, Isn't that fair? only one-fifth of the people in the room were playing Is It. You know, oh, anyway, that's my, not fair. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> and so, some of them were reasonable. Like, not every deck wants to run a six-drop in their Rakdos deck. So, having that one in there was fine, for example. I just think that, that they could have selected it better. The other thing that was a little disappointing to me was, I was expecting the guild pack to be designed for the guild. It was, it was just a clear plastic pack. Yeah. You noticed that? Yeah, you just you wanted like, that was an a little bit cool-looking like, pack design. Like, yeah, uh, something artwork. different. You know, instead of just like just cellophane on some cards, that was a little boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I um, was expecting the same thing, and uh, and I, you know, I was disappointed for about a split second. And then I realized I'm about to open Return to Ravnica cards and completely sure. forgot about it. <laughs> but sure. I, I was actually disappointed that the the uh, the dice didn't have the guild logo as the twenty yes. spot. It was just the I Return to Ravnica well. logo. I thought it was going to be an Azorius logo in my Azorius. Uh, yeah. But instead, it was like a blue die with red numbers for Is It, for is it, it yeah. and the ra- Return to Ravnica logo. Yeah, exactly. Which was so, kind of boring. So did you the choose The other thing is that it, I really it, liked... Or go no, ahead. I did not choose Is It. I went uh, Selesnya and Rakdos okay. uh, for my two pre-releases. But the other thing that I really liked was you were sat with your guild, right? Because when they were handing out the boxes, they didn't want to parse out who's what guild, so they just sat all the guilds at, at different tables. But that was really cool, building with your other guild teammates. And then, when you were paired, your guild was in parentheses like it's your country at a pro tour. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, that's actually really cool. That, that's really yeah. cool. They didn't do that so, at mine. That, that. Uh, here in Roanoke, they did, they did that, and it was awesome. Um, and like the other really cool thing was, because of the guild packs, an actual metagame evolved. Like... You would be like, oh, I'm I'm Selesnya. Oh, you're Rakdos. Well, I guess I'll be, I'll you know, I'll, I'll play this card or or uh, be on the play as opposed to Azorius when I would be on the draw, um, right. or something like that. It was very interesting. Yeah, it, it's it was cool to uh, to see that happen. Like for my guild, I chose Azorius, and uh, and I opened a Hypersonic Dragon in my other packs, so mm. I got to, <laughs> I got to have the Is It Guild leader and the Azorius. So I did, pl- I splashed red for Hypersonic Dragon and sure. Is It Charm. That was it. <laughs> I was like, I had an Is It Charm. I want to play it. I'm gonna and you can do that in this set too. Yeah. I drafted last night, and I played a white green deck that splashed blue and splashed red. Yeah. So I had I had a Grove of the Guardian. I used a Grove of the Guardian to cast a Merc- Mercurial Chemister last night. That's awesome. For example. Um, but, like, yeah, like, there's so much mana 
fixing that you can play like four and five color, especially in sealed when the when the pools are slightly slower. Right. Um, you can if you if you randomly open a couple of gates and a, and a land, and you're you know the odds of opening a rare land are pretty good. Plus, you've also got Mana Bloom. You've also got um, Chromatic Lantern. There's a bunch of mana fixing in this set, so you can re- realistically play three colors and not get too badly punished for it. Yeah. Plus, like you've I- got Transguild Promenade at common. Right. Yeah, it, I, I was I was just splashing red for those two cards and otherwise just played blue-white control, but I think I had pretty good reason. I, I opened... I had, at one point in the game... Uh, Isperia, Supreme Judge or whatever, the, uh, yep. the Mythic Rare, and, uh, and Archon of the Triumvirate on the table at the same time. Like, it was, Jeez. I opened Supreme Verdict, I opened a second Archon, including, so I had two, including the, the pre-release foil, and then Isperia, and then just a bunch of Detain cards. So, it's so felt, if you, su- if you survive till turn seven, you're yeah, good. they're bad. Yeah, so that was kind of the uh, the way it went. I didn't survive till turn seven in the match that I lost. So uh, <laughs> I was against Rakdos, <laughs> and I uh, yeah uh, yeah. And they, Rakdos they just put seemed, counters on all their guy. And, yeah, it yeah. seemed ridiculous. But anyway, it's a, it's a blast. I had a blast. I loved it, Ruben. It sounds like yeah, you, I, you had a blast. I had a good time. I I got completely bashed out of both events, but I had a great time, and uh, I can't wait for the next one. Should be should be great. Yeah, Gate Crash is set to be the same uh, same setup, so I, I can't same wait setup. for that. Yep. It's going to be awesome, and I, and I hope that there's a way they can continue to do things similar to this in the future, because obviously guilds are not the the thing for uh, next year's block, uh, but maybe there's another way to to do something similar. But um, so uh, so moving on, I guess let's. Uh, you guys want to talk about uh, about. Some uh, some modern testing, Cedric. I know you've been doing some testing. We have a pro tour coming up. We and, do. It's uh, only like three weeks away. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's getting here very very fast. You don't have to That's travel right. though for it because it's in Seattle, so you have an advantage right there. I a little home court advantage doesn't hurt. Get to sleep <laughs> in my own bed during the tournament. Right. I'm not I'm not unhappy about it. That's for sure. It's pretty good. So yeah, the, the so. Go ahead, Ruben. You, sorry, I was going to ask Cedric. You've been doing something interesting with your testing that hasn't really been done before, which is basically your testing in full public view. Yes. Um, and so, talk talk a little bit about the difference in doing everything like basically like reality TV, where everyone can just look in on you through a window and see everything that you're doing, as opposed to being able to test. Uh, the traditional way with your team hidden in a corner somewhere. Um, so, uh, I, I, sorry. Let's see. No, that's okay. Um, so it's an interesting experiment, I would say, um, mainly because what happens for a pro tour, for those of the listeners who don't really know, is you know you you partner up with people for the PT. Once you're qualified, you partner up with people for the tournament, and you know you build your teams however you build your teams, and then you guys uh, you guys test together. You normally build a forum or exchange emails on what decks you think are good, what decks you think are bad, play your games, what have you. Um, and you try not to let anything leak, for lack of a better term. You don't want yeah. the other people to know what you're playing at the tournament, so that when you come to the tournament, you can take the tournament by surprise with your sweet deck. Uh, yeah. in, reali- in reality, here's what ends up happening. Um, you figure out what the format is, you end up hating all of the decks. Um, <laughs> you know, there are only, like, six or seven people in the world who are good enough deck builders to, like, break the format. 
with like the mm-hmm. awesome deck. So in reality, you know, the people who are qualified for the Pro Tour, let's say there's 400 people qualified. You know, 390 of these people are incapable of building a deck that's going to break the format. And so once they get into testing, they realize, man, I can't break it. There are like these combos that possibly exist, but we can't figure out how to make them work. It's too hard. So then they just end up working on archetypes that already exist and then tweaking them to beat the decks that people think are going to be there. Like through like maybe some drastic main deck changes or some heavy dedication in their sideboard and trying to predict what people are going to play. Um, what I have found in my Pro Tour experience is trying to be secretive about your deck. Um, I wouldn't say it's useless, but it's nowhere near as important as people think. Um, here, here's the last experience of the Pro Tour I had when I went to Pro Tour Honolulu. You walk in the room, you have your deck or whatever, you know, everyone knows that Delver's a deck, Black White Tokens is potentially a deck, um, Ramp is potentially a deck, um, Illusions is potentially a deck, whatever. And, you know, you sit down for round one, everyone's super nervous, you know, all right, want to get the Pro Tour off to a good start. And here's what happened after every person finished round one. Hey, what's Channel Fireball playing? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys know what Channel Fireball's playing? What's what's SCG Boo, what's SCG Boo playing? Did you play against anyone from that team? What SCG Black? Oh, okay, I know what those guys are playing now. Perfect. So if I get paired up against one of those guys, I know exactly what they're playing, or close enough to what they're playing. Good thing you guys kept it a secret. Right. It, sure. It's, I'm glad you guys went through all that work. And it's like Channel Fireball is playing Ramp at the la- at that Pro Tour. It's like, oh man, big secret there. Don't let you cast Primeval Titan. Okay. And it's like, either your deck can beat Primeval Titan or it can't. You can't change it at that point anyway. So, for me, I understand why keeping things are are a secret, especially if you potentially break the format, but people are smart enough now that they can figure things out. I think that's the important part. Like, if you actually, you know, if you stumbled upon elves or, you know, the the food chain goblins thing, like, you stumble upon something like that and you don't want to give it away. That's the reason to do it, as opposed to, like, no one can know I'm playing Jund. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah, that's pretty pretty much what happens. Because there's, you know, four people at a Pro Tour. What's Team Channel Fireball playing? There's seven of them. What are the odds I'm going to play one? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, So. Yeah, unless you've stumbled upon some sort of deck that's just not in the, the not really a known deck in the metagame, then I think there's no reason to keep it secret. That's but of... here's but here's the cool thing. Here's the flip side. Now let's say let's say if you if I was doing this for Pro Tour Philadelphia, uh, that was I believe it was last year. Yeah, last, sep- yeah. last uh, early September. Yeah. yeah, early September, and um, late into my testing, I stumbled upon the Poison deck, and some other right. people knew the Poison deck existed, and they thought that it was a joke. And I trusted with the poison deck, and I immediately was like, holy crap, I can kill people on turn two. I'm interested. I'm listening to yep. what you're doing here. And, that, and people a, either A, didn't know the deck existed, or B, knew, knew it existed and thought it wasn't good. So if I had done well, if I had done this live testing with poison and shown, that pe- shown people that it was a real deck, it drastically influences the tournament for a lot of different people. Because going into that tournament... Primeval Titan, like Cloud Post decks, was the perceived best deck, and people were going out of their way to try to beat it. The Poison deck has a very good matchup against that deck, of course. So now, what ends up happening? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a wheel or whatever, um, or like rock paper scissors. Now everyone's like, oh man, Poison beats Cloud Post. Well, I'm interested in Poison, and then people are going to go, man, Poison's so good. How do we beat Poison? Like Zoo beats Poison, and so sure. now maybe maybe people audible over to Zoo to beat Poison, and then these Cloud Post people are like. Oh man, I can't be poisoned, but I can sure beat the crap out of Zoo. 
And so then it just changes <laughs> everything, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. about what people want to play. And then, like, let's say that people just ignore those three decks and are like, well, you know, like, I'm still just going to play Splinter Twin, but now I'm just going to, like, gear my deck a little bit to beat Poison, a little bit to beat uh, Cloud Post, a little bit to beat Zoo, where I was just trying to beat Cloud Post and, like, and, like Twin decks. Now I can change the way I want to build my deck. I feel like doing this live testing, even if I find a broken deck, it still influences the way that people are going to build their decks if they're paying attention to what I'm doing. Right. And so that brings up two points I wanted to ask. First of all, do you think people are going to pay attention to what you're doing? Um, um, and and like, think, to what extent do you think that you have, do you have an impact on the, the possible metagame? I think some the people, first question. I think some people will pay attention and some people won't. Um, it honestly depends on their opinion of me as a player. You know, some, part of the reason that I started started this thing and the stream team and testing live is because I've never been given the opportunity to play on a team with people before. You know, I've sure. never been asked for a pro tour, hey, said you want to, like, work on a team with us from, like, people of Channel Fireball level or, like, SCG Blue level or SCG Black level. That's never happened before um, for whatever hmm. reason. You know, I've played in 15, 16 pro tours. I've top eight in one. And I've never been given the opportunity to play test with people who are better than me. Hmm. So um, some people are going to take notice of what I'm doing and other people's are other people are going to ignore me because they don't respect me as a player, which is fine. You know, you can have your opinion of me however you'd like to. Um, you know, the people who are going to take notice, it's free information, so I don't see why they wouldn't take notice. Um, right. But again, it's just up to people and what they want to do. I can't control what other people do. Now, this, this, my second question would be, you, let's say you stumble upon the, the gold mine, right? Sure. Oh, man... I've broken it. Are you still going to stream that? Absolutely. There is no way I would hide anything um, for this Pro Tour. Like, if I found a deck that killed on turn two or turn three, I would just stream it. I don't care, because I need to get, I need to get practice with the deck anyway. Um, there's potential that people who are watching my stream could help me tweak my deck in such a way that I didn't think of. Like, I, when I'm building a deck, I'm incredibly open-minded um, about potential slots, potential cuts... Uh, I'll give you an example. Right now, I'm playing Jun without Lightning Bolt. Hmm. Um, I am incredibly open to off-the-wall ideas, and I know that I can't think of everything. So if someone watching my stream, who is someone who doesn't even qualify for the Pro Tour, just enjoys the work I do, and comes up with some crazy card that I should be playing, like, in Jun, I should be playing one Mitotic Slime for the Mirror. Or something. <laughs> and then I test it, and my tonic slime is insane in the mirror, and it's a card I wouldn't have thought of. That's awesome. That's what I want to happen. I want people to be able to help me who, you know, other pros or other high-level players would just brush aside when, like, like, that guy sends you a Facebook message or a Twitter and is like, hey, I think you should try this card. And the pro's like, yeah, well, who are you? Like, I'm not going to do that. And you're not qualified for the pro, you're not qualified for the pro tour. You haven't won anything. I don't care about you. Like, that's just not, like, I understand that, you know, while I might be a better player than, like, a lot of the people who are watching my stream, there are still things that, there are still ideas and still things that can be done that I am not going to think of. And so, you know, working with a team of eight very good players gives you one sort of, one sort of advantage, and working with the public gives you, a, gives you another sort of advantage. Because the public will think of some ideas and are more open-minded than working with a team of eight people who are fantastic. Sure. So, it's two different. It's two different angles. But to answer your original question, what I stream like if I came up with combo elves before for like this tournament, like the Berlin combo elves deck right, or whatever, right. something of that level, would I stream it. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. 
So, so what? Sorry. Go ahead. Ruben. I think we may. I've have been, been talking plenty. Yeah, I, I was going to say we may be on the same same question here. What I'm curious is what decks like what decks have you played with so far? And, and we are on the same page, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what decks have you played with so far, and uh, any surprises as far as like decks that just didn't perform as well as you expected, or that you may be getting excited about? Uh, you know, not to not to force you into any uh, any commitments for the Pro Tour or anything, but uh, just I mean, it doesn't force me anywhere. I mean, I don't care. What, I don't care if people know like what the decks I'm considering are right now. Um, and nobody listens to this podcast anyway, so uh, yeah. that's right, that's right. <laughs> not on any any major website or anything. So um, right now. If I had to pick a deck for the Pro Tour, if the Pro Tour was tomorrow, I would play Jund with no Lightning Bolts, four Blightnings, and four Abrupt Decays. It is what I would currently play. What's the logic uh, behind the no Lightning Bolt thing? I'm just out of curiosity. Just because Lightning Bolts just seems so good, and it was, I think, the most played card in... In uh, the last top eight, yeah. Yeah, in the, at the what, the Players' Championship, I think, uh, the modern decks. Was that... Well, it was, was also... The World, the World Magic it was One of those we, we looked at. Yeah, and it was also the most played instant in GP Columbus. Okay, okay. Yeah, in the top eight of that tournament. So, yeah, what's the logic behind that, Cedric? So, here's an interesting thing that I actually came to yesterday before I went to sleep uh, when I was brought, when this idea was brought up to me. Looking at the top decks of the format, um, and the top decks of the format to me right now are like uh, Green Red Tron, like the Karn deck, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Jund, um, some version of Scapeshift. Potentially some sort of storm deck, uh, blue white red delver, and then some sort of hyper aggressive deck. Potentially affinity or uh, what have you. Some sort of yeah. some sort of a deck that just wants to attack your face off. Um, with those decks, Bolt is very bad against green red Tron. It is fine against Jund, but abrupt decay solves the same problem, which is basically hi I killed our confidant. Right, um, and it also it also is nice to take out Liliana's. Yes, which Bolt actually does a relatively poor job of because yes. Leon starts at three and goes to four. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Abrupt Decay takes care of Bob and it takes care of Liliana. Um, against Blue White Red Delver, the most important card in the matchup is Geist of St. Traft, which neither of those cards kill. Right. Um, you know, it's nice to be able to bolt a Delver or a Steplinks, but if you're playing four Abrupt Decays, you know, it's going to still take care of the problem. Um, um, against Affinity, Bolt is good, obviously, and so is Abrupt Decay. Um, but again, both of those matchups are just about buying time, and I think that you're a dog game one no matter how your deck is built, and then you're a heavy favorite game two depending on how much sideboard stuff you want to have. So while you may miss Bolt a little bit there, I don't think you miss Bolt a ton. Uh, the same can be said for Zoo. Um, you know, as long as you get to a longer game, that's that's when your Bloodbraid Elves start to take over, and your Tarmogoyce and your Kitchen Finks and what have you, and Bolt does a nice job of buying the time there, but if you're on the play, Abrupt Decay basically does the same thing as Bolt does, mm-hmm. of just buying you time and getting you to the later game. Um... And then, like, that's pretty much that's pretty much what I've found. And, oh, yeah, and it's absolutely horrible against Scape Shift. Right, um, that makes sense. And Abrupt Decay is equally bad against Scape Shift. <laughs> but but well, Abrupt Decay be- can kill Prismatic <laughs> Omen. Uh, right, that's what I was going to If If people say. are playing it. Um, sure. So, basically, like, you're looking at the decks, and you look at Lightning Bolt as the old standby of, like, you can't cut Bolt and Jund. What are you doing, man? Right. But if Scape Shift and Jund are going to be... Like the two top decks, Blightning is incredible. Then, yeah, Blightning is absolutely incredible because we all like you know, we've obviously played our Jund mirrors, and you know the player who like double yeah, Blightnings, Blightnings, yeah, yeah, the person who double Blightnings like instantly wins. It's not the person who double bolts, and exactly. 
against Scapeshift, like, the matchup is very coin-flippy, and Bolt is doing nothing to enhance your matchup, where, skate, where um, Blightning is just, like, awesome there. Because, like, then you have Inquisition, you have some member of Thought Seizes, you have Liliana, and you have Blightning to just rip right. their hand apart. Um, so, like, that's exactly where I'm at right now, um, as far as deck I would play tomorrow. Other decks in the format are basically the ones that I listed. Um, there's some version of Scapeshift. It's either Red-Green Scapeshift with Primeval Titan and some number of uh, Prismatic Omens. Uh, or there's Blue-Green Scapeshift. And then there's some some super aggressive deck. It's either Affinity or Zoo. Um, what am I... What, uh, there's some sort of Tron deck. Probably Green-Red Tron with the Karns and the Worm Coil engines. Mm-hmm. Um, because that deck uh, has a nut draw that's really good. Yeah. Uh, the, the question now is... Um, and this is the question I found testing that deck is, is a turn three Karn still something that's really good in the format? Yeah. Um, not sure if it's... I can't tell if it's good or not. Like, I've played a lot of games with that deck, and there are some games where it's like, if you play Karn, like, it doesn't catch you up, and it has to be Warm Coil Engine. And there's some other games where, like, if it's Warm Coil Engine, you're embarrassed, and you need it to right. be Karn. <laughs> yeah. But, but you, one of the things with that deck is you can't control which threat you draw. So you kind of are hoping that, like, you get your Tron online by turn three, which isn't the hardest thing for that deck to do, and then you draw the right threat with that mana. And if you have the wrong threat against the wrong deck, it's just like, uh, what am I doing here with this yeah. tournament, with this Karn, and I'm getting yeah. beat down or whatever. So, um, I mean, that deck is incredibly powerful, but you can't control your draws. And then, you know, there will be some people who show up with, like, you know, a, mystic te- a mystical teachings deck or, like, some deck that's built around Snapcaster. Um, you know, I've seen some people online playing blue-white, um, kind of mid-rangey with Kitchen Finks and Restoration Angel, and, hmm. you know, they've got their Snapcaster Path to Exile deck, Path to Exile combo and stuff like that. So there are some ways that you can go. Uh, one of the things that is leading me down the Jund road is that, um, and again, this is another deck that you can't control your draws, but if you draw the right half of your deck in a certain matchup, they are so dead. Yeah. It's, like, not even fair, the things that you're doing. Like, if you draw, like, the... Like, if you're playing in Scapeshift and you draw, like, the like the Inquisition into Bob into, like, either Blightning or Liliana Hand, they're so dead, it's, like, unbelievable. Right. So, you know, it, it's kind of tough because, you know, there's the hands where you just draw all your dudes and you get destroyed, but... You know, you're taking a gamble either way. I don't think that this format is a deck... I don't think there's a deck in this format that is just going to beat every deck. I don't think it exists. So, so you mentioned two things. Uh, you mentioned Abrupt Decay, and you mentioned Scapeshift. So I have a question... What has a bigger impact on modern, in your opinion? Return to Ravnica or the unbanning of Valakut? The unbanning of Valakut and, and whoever did that at Wizards, we're going to have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was something we, we touched on last week. We actually didn't even say what it was. I think, you know, last episode we mentioned about, you know, an unbanning in modern, and we never even discussed it. So uh, I, I'm not too happy with that change either. I think if, they, if they're going to unban something, they should probably introduce a... a a card into the format that's going to allow control to take uh, to, to have some kind of footing in the format because it seems like control is the is the deck that's missing. There's multiple combo decks, there's multiple aggro decks, and then there's some kind of aggro controlish decks. Uh, but for the most part, pure control seems to be just completely absent from modern. So uh, I, I would like to have seen a control card unbanned. But uh, what, what did you think? Obviously, Cedric, you have some opinions on that. I'm curious about that. Um, you know, what I know, so I didn't start my testing until Return to Ravnica was completely spoiled. I thought it would be a waste of time if I did so. Um, and once it got completely spoiled, I've looked over the spoiler a couple times, and 
you know, there are some cards that are good, like Abrupt Decay is, like, obviously in your face, hey, I'm going in Jund, suck it, like, type card. Um, Epic Experiment is a card that is, you know, potentially in a Storm deck. Um, but nothing from Return of Ravnica really jumped in my face and was just like, hey, man, like, this is an engine, or, like, this is the card that's going to make pure control of the deck, or this, you know, makes, uh, like, an aggressive deck better. There's nothing there that has really jumped out at me. Now, something that does say, hey, I'm good, is Valkut the Molten Pinnacle. What a surprise. Yeah, um, sure. And, you know, I I don't like Valkut when it's legal, because it's just not the kind of card that I like playing with or against. It's very, like, uninteractive. You know, when you see that your opponent is playing, like, that kind of deck, it's like, all right, put on your rocket shoes, we got to kill him before he kills me. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I'm not a very big fan of. Um... It's not terribly interactive. Maybe it's more interactive than I give it credit for, but I don't know. You know, maybe it's not as bad as I think, but it's just like when you're when you're testing against Scapeshift uh, for the Pro Tour, it's like, okay, here's the deal. M- I'm testing with Michael Jacob. It's like, MJ ha- is playing a Scapeshift deck, and I'm playing deck A, B, or C. The only thing I have to do is kill him before he kills me. That's it. That's the only thing that matters in the entire game. There's no, like, interaction or anything. It's just like, just kill him before he kills you. That's all you have to do. But that's just not, like, fun or interactive or necessarily that easy. Right. So, you know, I don't love that that card is back. Um, I understand they wanted to shake something up. And to your point, Joey, I, for, the, for the pure control cards that they could potentially unban, Ancestral Visions is a giant no-no. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think that card is just way too good. And the other one, Jace the Mind Sculptor, while I don't think that that is a giant no-no, I think that they are at the point right now where Jace got just got done dominating like standard, and I go, I don't think they want it at the forefront of another format. They being wizards, mm-hmm. so I don't think they want that card unbanned right now. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting thing because I think Jace was was contained by cards like Bloodbraid Elf, which uh, once they rotated and once Bloodbraid uh, rotated, that's when Jace started to dominate standard, and I feel like. In modern, he would be contained, you know, because Bloodbraid Elf is is one of the uh, pretty big elements of the modern format. But I, I know there are a lot of different opinions on that. But yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I can I can kind of see what you mean there. Uh, Ruben, did you do you have anything you wanted to? Uh, no, nope, we to basically covered what I was gonna what I was gonna get there. Okay. Um, did you have any final thoughts on modern before we actually? Let me ask you a question. What do you think about Slitherhead in modern? Slitherhead. Slitherhead. That's right. That's that, was, the, that, was, that was our preview card. That's the one one. That's the one one that scavenges for zero. No, not gonna. All right. <laughs> what? Thought, thought I'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted. I wanted it to be good. I'm I don't think sad. Slitherhead's home is in modern. I'm sorry. All right, it's fine. I don't think it increases the clock fast enough to kill Scapeshift or anyone for that matter. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Well then, I check. Wh- while we're on the topic of Slitherhead's home, do you think? Oh, uh, what a transition! <laughs> what a transition, Joey! This weekend we have the Star City Games Open Series in Cincinnati. Very oh, first weekend. Uh, what's that? I said, "What a professional you are!" Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you were correcting me. I was like, I thought it was oh, in you Cincinnati. Were, no, you're right. I was interrupting you to tell you how professional you were, and then you got flustered. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, uh, very. Very first weekend that Return to Ravnica is legal, and obviously no more M12, no more Scars of Mirrodin block, and um, 
you know, we'll, we'll see what Slitherhead can do starting this weekend. So will Slitherhead make an impact? We'll just start there. What do you think, Cedric? I don't think that Slitherhead is going to make an impact. <laughs> sorry. sorry, Ruben. That's I fine. It's, I don't think it's Slitherhead's time. This I weekend. agree. Um, but, however, um, going into this tournament, I think the deck to beat is a black-green deck. I think it's black-green zombies. Yep. Um, I haven't... I, I've been focusing on modern, of course, for this Pro Tour. I can't make it to Cincinnati or any of the standard stuff for a, a couple of weeks. Um, but as far as, you know, I've been reading some articles on, on Star City. Um, Jerry's done a really nice job of covering some things for, for upcoming standard. It just seems like, you know, if I were to pick a deck, because, you know, that's just my style. I love to attack a U uh, for two. I would play a. I would play that zombie deck. That zombie deck just looks incredible. But it's also just going to be the deck that is gunned for as well. Um, but I think that this is a situation where, while the deck is going to be gunned for, I don't think that people will necessarily know the right answers to the questions that Zombies is presenting. For mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they'll know the answers to those questions for the initial week. It might take them a week or two to figure out the best way to go about beating those decks. Um, and I am a big fan of any new formats when new cards, especially when a when a new when a base set rotates and a new base set moves in. I am a big fan of attacking at the start of the format and then letting all the masters figure out the control decks because sure. I'm not good at building the control decks. So uh, if I had to choose, I would play Black Green Zombies, and I think that Black Green Zombies is the best deck for week one. Yeah, think, I mean, I think that I mean that's. Everyone knows that what Zombies brings to the table, and they already know that Zombies can be a powerful strategy. And it didn't lose very much from the last standard, whereas all the other standard decks are basically gone. You know, the the solar the, the Esper control decks are going to look vastly differently. There's basically no blue-white Delver deck anymore. All the bonfire decks look different. And Zombies loses about three things at most. And improves in terms of mana, and it gets abrupt decay. So I think that not only will Black Green Zombies be the best deck, but I think that Zombies will probably be the best three decks. Um, like Black Green Zombies, Black Red Zombies, and then like Jund Zombies, which are all sort of different things. I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, for example, like Hunt Masters out of the sideboard of a Jund Zombies deck for certain matchups. For example, the Mirror Match. Um, and so I think that Zombies is definitely going to be enemy number one. Um, but the, the I think that there's probably a Terminus control deck once people figure out what to do with it. But there's no there's no way to get it week one. I don't think. Yeah, I think that's the that's the most difficult thing. And, and you both touched on it. Just the the control decks are tough to build. It's tough to bring answers to the table when you don't you aren't exactly sure what the questions are going to be. Now you know right. that, you know zombies. I th- I'm I'm going to go ahead and agree with both of you that black green zombies is probably uh enemy uh public enemy number 1 for anybody or you know, you just want to pick up zombies and play it. It might be the the deck you want to play if you want to attack. I think uh I think if that's what I wanted to do, if I wanted to attack, that's what I'd be bringing. But yeah. uh at the same I was time, trying to make I was trying to make another deck work. I was like, well, if I put Elite Inquisitor in a deck and then make, like, a humans thing, because Elite Inquisitor has pro-zombies, will that work? And it just isn't good. It just is not good enough. So no. the, the only aggro deck that there is, really, is zombies that, I, that I've seen. Yeah, and it seems like it's a pretty clear thing. Like, uh, it's almost the most... It, it's the most obvious deck. It's the most uh, obviously synergistic and coherent strategy. Uh, 
like it's pretty much built for you uh, to, to some degree. And mm-hmm. I think that's an advantage. I mean, if all you're trying to do is just attack, 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 it's really pretty clear. You just want to pack your deck with a whole bunch of creatures and some removal spells, and that's really it. Right. Um, and, you know, as far as trying to play a control deck, I think if you want to play a control deck this weekend, you you go, okay, how do I beat zombies? And how do I beat Thrag Tusk? Like, yeah. And maybe you even use Thrag Tusk to, to, uh, in, in either of those. I mean, I've seen some control lists trying to, uh, you know, splashing green for Thrag Tusk or just going, going bant or, uh, when we saw, Four color solar flare. I'm, Cedric, I'm sure, did not forget that he saw so- four color solar flare last. Oh week. yes, remind me, please, please. <laughs> Thank you uh, wow. so much. That was quite a dagger, Joey. Jeez. Sorry, sorry about that, Cedric. It was it was right there, low hanging fruit. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, as I mentioned, we were losing a whole bunch of cards too. Are there any cards that you guys? Uh, I think we're all pretty excited about moving forward. But there, are there any cards? that you guys are going to miss from Scars Block or M12? I think that the thing that I'm going to miss most is the Scars Lands. I think the Scars Lands, the Fast Lands, did so much for aggro and and tempo, but, you know, like, see Chrome Coast, it's tough to ignore how how important that was, but those were, like, the perfect mana-fixing lands for aggro decks. And uh, I think that that's that's going to be my number one takeaway. I wouldn't be. I mean, they're they're seeing some play in modern, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they started seeing even more play in modern because you know the first three turns of and even in legacy, I've seen some play from those cards. Yeah. Um, and I I would not be shocked to see to to have those cards get more play because the first you know the first three turns are the most important turns of the game. Um, and uh, I I think that I think that those are definitely high on my list of cards that I'll miss. But we're getting better mana fixing, so yeah, you can't complain too much. Pretty reasonable replacement. You get to choose whether it comes into play untapped, right? So that, that's something. What about you, Cedric? Birthing pod. That's yeah, a big one for me. Um, qualified for this particular pro tour uh, with that band pod deck. Um, I just like birthing pod as a card. Uh, like what it does for a format too, just like yeah. it's like a super good card. You have to you have to build your entire deck around it. You have to know how your deck works as a player playing Birthing Pod, and every slot in your deck is very relevant to how you're building your deck as far as moving up the Birthing Pod chain and the ease of it or the difficulty of it. Mm-hmm. And like on the flip side, uh, for your opponent, you know they have to build their deck in such a way to be able to beat Birthing Pod decks and beat Birthing Pod chains and know how to play around those. Um, I never thought the card was unfair or too powerful. I thought it was just a very good card. Um, really well-designed card, too. So I'm going to miss that. I don't think we have a card that imitates such an effect uh, moving forward. But, um, I mean, Scars Lands are cool. I don't have... I mean, those are just good cards. I will miss those to a certain extent, but, you know, I couldn't be happier than Gutshot and Dismember and those guys are leaving. Oh, yeah. All of the Phyrexian mana spells, as opposed to the Phyrexian mana permanents... I'm fine with all of them going away forever. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, Don't miss that at all. Yeah. The other card that I just remembered that's leaving is Birds of Paradise. Oh, I'm so sad. He's uh, got to be coming back, right? It always he's got. I, I hope he does. Yeah. Because Crash has got to be coming back. It seemed. Yeah. Well, I would think that he'd be in the third set, actually. Yeah, that's because that's the that's oh, the okay. ten color set okay. or the ten ten guild set. But um, it it always seems to me that at there there are certain times of year where magic cards are good based on how things rotate. 
And it always seems that a Birds of Paradise deck is good at, in during the summer when there's so many cards in the format. Yeah. Um, and so every summer, Birds of Paradise would be good. And then I would be able to trade for them during the winter. <laughs> well, how many then, do you need? Just keep four. I have four. I, I have my original four that I got when I was 12 years old and got That's them awesome. signed by Mark Poole. Still have wow. them. They're wow. like they're my they're yeah they're my my version of uh, Peace All These Mountains. I have, I have the same excellent. birds that I use every single time. That is impressive. It is. I, I traded my my white border birds away for uh, for black border return. I'm sorry, original Ravnica birds mm. when they came out because I like the artwork better and I wanted black bordered birds. But I have my you know second uh, set of birds from original Ravnica block. But right. uh, as far as what cards I'm gonna miss, I you know people probably hate it, but I, I'm going to miss Manalik. I feel like the Delver decks and the Tempo decks gave Manalik kind of a bad name, and it uh, takes it away from, you know, it rotating and everybody cheering, like, yay, no Manalik. You know, that's... It's a hit to Delver decks, um, but it's a hit to control decks, too, and I, I want to be able to play Manalik in my control decks, and it's just not there anymore. Now I get Syncopate, so... Right. That's not exciting. Yeah. Uh, Cranny, Sam, and I had a long discussion about Mana Leak um, back when it was when Delver first started being the enemy of the format. And I always contended that it wasn't Mana Leak's fault. Yeah. Because it was all the, it was just a confluence of of uh, of the situation. You know, it wasn't overpowered in Stronghold. It wasn't overpowered in Eighth Edition. It wasn't overpowered for uh, I forget when it was printed. After that, I think it was. It was printed some. It was printed a third time after that, I believe. But it wasn't overpowered until Delver, right? And then people were like, "Oh man, this card's always been way too powerful." No, it hasn't. It's, it's always been perfectly fair, you know. Uh, it, it, and also, we had we had a whole format where Sage's Dowsing was a thing, and that was basically Mana Leak because you always had the um, the Banneret in play. I don't know if you guys played in the same metagame that I did, but. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I was playing fairies then with effects ambitions. like sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and broken. I mean, those uh, those effects where you have to pay mana to counter a spell have never been like this card's too good. We have to ban it, right? Yeah. Or the same thing was like, all right, see this new unsummon loses you a life. <laughs> also too good. We have to ban it. <laughs> like yeah, it's just this confluence of other things. So. I, I I agree with the Man League. Man League had its day in the sun, and it's it's nice that it was the uh, the enemy of the format for a little while. But I I anticipate that we'll see Man League again. I hope so. Uh, it, it's scary to me as the as the guy who wants to play blue based and counter spell based control decks to see counter spells. Uh, you know, like we now are going to have in this standard where it's like dissipate, negate, essence scatter, and syncopate, <laughs> like and counter lash. Oh yeah, I mean. There's there's some other wacky ones. We've got Rewind, so Shaheen Sarani's trying to break that one. There you one. go. Yeah, uh, nice. <laughs> so well, You, you can tap one of your lands to draw a card with Underworld Connections. Then you can rewind and untap that land again. Oh you my broke God. it. Huh? Huh? Did I do it? I think you did. Nice. Oh, gosh. We can't even publish this episode. We're just... It's, I know. We, we got to... Well, Cedric, Cedric's fine with it. Okay. <laughs> All of his testing's public. We'll, we'll be good. Yep. So, so uh, another topic, uh, a big topic in the community, kind of lately. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, but it's still kind of on people's minds. Uh, and Cedric, you were kind of at the forefront of this topic. Is uh, magic coverage? 
in general, the, the quality of Magic coverage and, uh, you know, the future of Magic coverage. Cedric, you wrote an entire article about it. Brad Nelson wrote a response to that. Um, so, Cedric, do you, uh, you want to kind of give us the, uh, a quick rundown of your, your thoughts on the, the current state of Magic coverage and where you would like it to go? Um, the current state of Magic coverage is okay. Um, we're taking strides in the right direction. Um, my major, my major beef with where Magic coverage was at was I went to um, PAX Prime here in Seattle. Uh, I think it was, man, it was like a month and a half ago now. Man, where did time go? It's October already. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to I went to PAX Prime and I was there. One of my buddies was running uh, has a card shop running a booth or whatever. I was like, hey, man, I've never been to this, like, convention. What should I do? You know, he asked me, you know, do you play League of Legends? And I'm like, no, I used to play Dota back my senior year of college, um, but I never really got into League of Legends. And he's like, well, you should go watch it anyway because there's, like, a big League of Legends tournament here. So I go there. Um, it's, like, on the top floor, and there's, like, these giant screens, and there's, like, a very large viewing audience, and then, you know, you got your area for both of the teams. And, you know, I don't... Play like like I said, I play Dota. I don't play League. I have a very very general understanding of what's going on in the game. I am like by no means like I do not have a high level understanding of the game. I don't understand why these players are really doing what they're doing. I just know how the game works, and that was pretty much all I needed to know. And, and I was watching this, and the commentary was unbelievable, and the energy in the crowd was like unbelievable, and. You know, the team, they had, like, these these videos before the match of, like, the teams kind of talking trash to each other. And, you know, they just built a very, very nice narrative and a very nice experience. And then once they had to actually go out and do the experience, the experience itself was awesome. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching these, these people in this crowd go crazy for the things that are happening. And I'm just like, man, like, I play a game, too, for a living. And our game is nothing like this, like, as far as, like, for a viewing audience and, like, excitement and enjoyment. And I don't understand why it's this way. And so I obviously wrote my article about that. And my my big point, I guess, is... And I don't know if this is necessarily fair, because video games and card games are two different things, but League of Legends has been in existence for, uh, you know, I'll say conservatively two years, in between two to three years now. And they have their viewing audience for... Um, this particular tournament I was watching was North American Regionals. If uh, if you watch it on Twitch, their viewing audience was over 100,000 people. Magic is coming up on its 20-year anniversary, 20 anniversary, excuse me, and when I was watching the World Players Championship at home on my computer, and at, at no point did the concurrent viewing audience ever break 10,000. And that's not okay. <laughs> um, um, and so I think that, you know, Coverage is taking steps in the right direction. I just, I guess, I just don't understand what's taking it so long, and how a game that has been in existence for you know two and a half years, conservatively two years, we can say three years, whatever, um, has this exorbitant viewing audience. Has taken, basically, has built its game around doing its coverage to, to you know bring people in and to create a phenomenal experience. And while, meanwhile, Magic has been doing coverage on tournaments, you know, written and video and what have you, but our game has been in existence for almost two decades, and we have what many would find to be mediocre to poor coverage for our tournaments, mm-hmm. I think is the biggest beef that I have. Now, that being said, um, you know, I am a member of SCG Live, 
and Joey, you are as well. And, and, and Ruben too. Ruben uh, in the sideboard. Oh yeah, don't, Ruben don't too, forget yeah. me, bro. <laughs> sorry, I haven't I haven't worked an event with you. I forgot. I'm sorry. Oh, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'm always working with Glenn, so I forgot that you were uh, that you were on the team as well. But yeah, we're all members of SCG Live, and I think you know I think that us all being members, like, it's very obvious that SCG Live is taking huge steps in the right direction. I can tell you firsthand that from every show that I do, and I did back to back shows. I did Portland and Los Angeles. Like, the difference in shows from Portland to Los Angeles was like, oh, hey, like, they're improving. Like, something is always improving in what's being done. Like, a lot of the people who watch the, who watch the stuff, they don't see the behind-the-scenes guys. They don't see Shoebox. You know, yeah. they don't see, they don't see, necessarily, they don't even see you, like, Ruben or Glenn. Like, they see you guys when you're on camera. But they don't see what you guys are doing behind the scenes, right. typing things up. Like, they, they don't see what's going on. Um, and, like, to see what those guys are doing and how things are improving every single week is fantastic like that's the way that it should be um i wish it was wasn't so gradual but i know that there are only so many people who can do so many things um but i think that we're taking steps in the right directions i just wish that they would be i guess either larger steps potentially quicker steps or that there would just be something i i think i wish that people would realize just how important coverage is to the game yeah, I mean, coming again from somebody else uh, doing coverage, I, I read a lot of, you know, I read your article and I read Brad's article and I read a lot of the comments on the articles trying to get people's feel for things. And it, it seems to me that uh, there's some people are confused or maybe not confused, but uh, are, are looking at what you're saying, saying uh, we need to improve coverage in these ways. And they're going, yeah, these, uh, these guys are idiots. They don't even know what the cards do and, and things like that. And th- th- those are kind of two different, um, different criticisms. And I think, uh, I, I guess it, I, I read every comment, every negative comment that I see, I'm like, they're talking about me. I know it. They're talking about <laughs> me. You know, it's yeah. just like, I, I can't help but internalize it. And I'm going, what cards do I not know what they do? You know, like I always, yeah. if there's a card that I, I uh, want to remember the Oracle text of. That's why I have my iPad always in front of me so I can just look up a card so I can get the Oracle text because I want to make sure that everything's right. Like, I'm constantly doing that. And obviously, most cards that are played, you you do know what they do. Somebody plays Birds of Paradise, I'm not looking that up. But somebody plays, uh, of course, I can't think of a card, an obscure card, because it's obscure. (laughs) Slitherhead. Yeah, Slitherhead. There you go. It's like, wait a second, Slitherhead costs, you know, it's hybrid. Is the scavenge one or zero? You know, right, right, right. That's probably awful, too, because that's about the best thing, you know, the one thing you should remember about the card. But anyway, you know, I'm always able to look up a card if I want to remember it. And another thing, you know, there, a lot of times people will will say uh, things about, People pay attention to the matches, and it's like, what do you think we're doing? <laughs> like, we're we're watching the matches, and there's other things going on. We're looking at deck lists, trying to look at sideboard options, looking, okay, how can he get out of this? You look down at a deck list, you look up, and you're like, wait, what just happened? All the creatures went away. Was there a wrath? Was there a bonfire? It's off screen, because the graveyard's uh, off screen, or something like that. And it's like, those are completely different kinds of uh, kinds of criticisms, and I think people also need to kind of keep in mind that there are more things going on than us just staring at the screen. Like, we're, we're actually looking at deck lists and other things are happening. Oh, but. yeah, you've got so many things going on. Like, you're, you're, co- you're uh, communicating with the commentators, you're, you're researching facts about the players, you're trying to make the internet work, usually, because our, our sites aren't great at that. You're trying to figure out what cards people are playing, recent deck lists... 
Um, there's a lot of stuff. And you, then you're also trying to Twitter. keep up with gameplay. And then you're interacting with Twitter, obviously. Right. So you've got so much going on that it's, it's, it's very difficult. But, um, and, and, and I guess the other point that I would make about that is if we're trying to become a real sport, um, I know, Cedric, you do this, and there's some other commentators that, that are very good at research, um, researching ahead of time. Uh, Robert Martin sticks out. He does a lot of research before he, he did his, uh, his invitational. Um, but you, you watch, like, Monday Night Football, and Mike Tirico's just got nothing but stacks of paper in front of him. And he's working for three hours. And we've got, you know, two days to fill. Right. And so it's it's... It's a it's a it's a long game for magic, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but, pun ex- but pun accepted. Pun pun yeah. There we go. Um, luckily for me, I have dyadic memory, so I can just remember every magic card I've ever seen. Um, but uh, moving on to back to the other point about comparing Star City Games coverage, I think that I'm very lucky to be able to work in Star City Games at this particular moment in time because. Uh, Star City's been moving forward at such a pace that it's 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 evolving so fast, the coverage, um, that I really do feel like working in this office, I feel like I am right on the very forefront of, of a new medium, basically. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the, one of the major things that, that I want people to, to take away from this episode is that Star City is always improving, we're constantly changing, constantly evolving, and we want people to give us their suggestions, right? This doesn't mean that we can implement them right away, uh, but we we have a list, you know what I mean, of, we, we have a list of magical Christmas land ideas that's pages long, and some things are completely unreasonable, just ever. Uh, some things are, if we put the resources into them, we could probably get them done within the next year. You know what I mean? So there's this whole gamut of, of area we can, we can change. And we just need, we just want input on what people think is important, what people don't think is important. You know, we, we want to, we, we want to just continually make the viewing better to keep getting more viewers. Because the more viewers we get, the more the game improves, and the better that is for everybody involved. Absolutely. So, uh, any any guys any of you guys have uh, any closing thoughts on on coverage? That kind of sounded like a closing thought from you, Ruben. But Cedric, <laughs> yeah. did you have anything you wanted to add? I, I just, I'm like very happy with where coverage is moving um, as far as a directional standpoint. Um, I think that people are starting to realize how important coverage is to, like, the game that we're playing because, like, League of Legends is a huge game because, not not just because the game is free. Like, that was that was a lot of, that was the one thing I didn't really agree with as far as comments um, in the article is, like, everyone was like, well, you know, like, League of Legends is a free game and Magic costs, like, a bunch of money to play. And, like, that, those two things, the, the price of the game has literally nothing to do with coverage being good or bad. Yeah. Is the thing that like those those things are mutually exclusive. Like they have nothing to do with each other. So um, I think that coverage is going in a very good direction. And like you said, Ruben, it's improving every day. And it's not like you know we have a million dollars to put into coverage, and you know we can have the finest cameras and the nicest setups and all that stuff. But it's always improving every single tournament, which is the big thing for me, and which is why I want to keep being a part of it, is because it's very obvious that um, someone there in the home office cares about what's going on, or multiple people do, and um, 
you know, so one, one of the things about our community, as I'm sure that you guys know, is people are very hypercritical about things, and, like, in, in a way... No. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, and in a way, like, just <laughs> negative about stuff when there's no reason to be, like, that negative about some things. So, you know, the, uh, the feedback can be negative at times, but, you know, you can only... You can only do so much, and like, some people's expectations are unreasonable, or you know, some of the things that people want are just completely unreasonable. So, you know, you can take all the feedback that you want, but you can't really take any of it personal, and you just have to do the best job that you can. Because again, like, like you said, Joey, people don't understand like what is going on, like behind the behind the scenes, or what's going on in the booth. And you know, again, you're doing this for what are we doing, like ten hours a day yeah, for or, each of the tournaments, or more or sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah, or more. And you know the in between Saturday and Sunday, you might get six hours of sleep. So, right, it's not a perfect fix. Um, it's never going to be perfect, but it's making strides in the right direction. And I hope that people uh, listening to this and people who are watching coverage take notice of that. So, the one, Ruben, the, yeah, the one last thing I wanted to mention was that uh, if you if you wanted to read more about this subject, of course, go read Cedric's article at Star City Games. Go read Brad's article at Star City Games. But there was another article that I saw on this topic in response to those two. Uh, called What's in a Game by Ching Sung Chang on Gathering Magic that was also a very well-written and well-reasoned article about the topic of, uh, of ma- the future of magic coverage. And uh, so if you, if you go to Gathering Magic, you can read that article as well. He brings up some interesting points, and um, it's not a terribly long read, but I think it's, the, it's another, uh, another addition to the argument and discussion that isn't going to end here and won't end for a long time about the the future of magic coverage, but uh, it's it's a it's a good one. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I haven't seen that one yet, so uh, I'll link those in the show notes for us. So um, yeah, I think uh, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Anything yeah. you guys want to uh, want to plug, Cedric? I know you have. Uh, you, I'm sure you you could come up with something you want to plug. Yeah, you might have a thing or two to talk yeah. about. Oh. Right? Plugging? I don't really like to talk about myself, but I am awesome, so let's talk <laughs> about me. Um, uh, my stream over at twitch.tv slash studyp, C-E-D-D-Y-P, um, testing modern and um, I, drafting when Return of Ravnica gets online. I think it gets online like a couple days before the Pro Tour, so I'll be jamming drafts like a maniac then. Um, also... Uh, just me testing modern with Michael Jacob and the stream team up until that point. Um, either going to have an article coming out this week or next week on Star City. Um, why can't I think of things to promote? This is not happening. Game State. Um, Game State. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, Game State. Um, I do a podcast. God, you're smart. I do a podcast um, with myself. Uh, Glenn Jones, perhaps you've heard of him, the event, event coverage coordinator for Star City Games. That's right. Um, Ad- Adam, a winner is you, Ragsdale, a fellow streamer, and Stephen Flavel, a poker pro and magic enthusiast. We do a we do a uh, podcast every Monday. We film it live on twitch.tv slash GameStateMTG, uh, where we talk about the happenings of magic every week. It happens every Monday uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. Because I'm Pacific time, um, and we do a live recording, and then we, uh, we you know, we edit it or whatever, and then we uh, make it available to watch on YouTube, or you can download it, or it'll be on MTG Cast, so you can download an audio or video. Um, that's the other big one. Um, we just we just did an episode yesterday. Yesterday was Monday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did an episode yesterday. Uh, um, 
where we uh, where we talked about the pre-release experience and some other stuff, and we had some fun questions at the end. So uh, we do that every single Monday, and I think that's all I've got to promote for now. Cool. Yeah, I sit next to Glenn at work, and uh, I like Don't I like watching. So I know, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I like watching Game State. That's one of the f- – I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, surprisingly, but that's one that I do. And uh, you guys should definitely go check it out. Yeah, it's cool to be able to interact with you guys live, too. That's something that, uh, you know, not a lot of podcasts, even including ours, you know, do that kind of thing, where you, usually we, you record and then you release the episode. And in this case, or in your guys' case, you can kind of you listen live, you can interact. You guys are pretty good on keeping up with the chat a bit. Um, so that, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that we can address in the chat and then some things that we can't, but we try to address the, uh, the more, uh, uh, P, PG comments. For sure. sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, Ruben, do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh, let's see here. I did, I did a sweet tweets for this week. I'm going to have a sweet tweets for every, uh, guild week. This week is Selesnia week. Um, and so I have, I have those coming out. Did you write I've that got, intro thing? Yes. That was awesome. Like, I, th- I, I read that this morning. The, what, the little, uh, the little non- nonfiction thing? Yeah, that was, that was Yeah, I, I did, I, I started doing that with my sweet tweets because I just like writing nonfiction stuff and, uh, you know. What, you isn't, know. It, isn't it fiction? Or, yeah, fiction stuff. Well, <laughs> who knows, whatever. Non, nonfiction. Well, yeah, the, the piece itself is nonfiction, but yeah, you get my point. Whatever. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have a sweet tweets up. Go look at that. I think I have a newsening coming out next week, which will be the Return to Ravnica special newsening, um, which will all be all about Return to Ravnica. So go check that out. Um, and I think that's about it. I think I'm, I'm going to be playing in Cincinnati this weekend. Ooh, uh, awesome. I hope. If I can figure out a carpool. Just play uh, Black Green Zombies. <sighs> Man. Yep. Make it easy. Make it easy on yourself. Fine. Just, just don't show up with uh with ponders and um you know and Gitaxian probes and delvers, you know, because right. you might have a problem. Um as for me, I uh, I will not be on next week's episode of In Contention because I will be out of town, but uh I will be at SCG Providence coming up next weekend. As will I. Wow, so that, that'll be awesome. I'm, I'm working that event, yeah. Excellent. So I will see you in Providence, Ruben. And uh, cool. you guys in the Providence, Rhode Island area should certainly come out and say hello and battle with Return to Ravnica cards in Standard and, and Legacy. I mean, why not? That's right. So, uh, as always, you can follow us all on Twitter. Our guest, Cedric Phillips, at Cedric A. Phillips. Uh, me, Joey Pasco at Affinity for Blue. Ruben is Mox Ruby, M-O-X-R-E-U-B-Y. Uh, yep. And the show, of course, at In Contention. Uh, I think that's everything for this week. So until next week, thank you very much, Cedric, for being on the show. Until next week, we are In Contention.